Well, we are starting a brand new series this morning called By Faith. Um, we are going to go through Hebrews chapter 11. Um, that talks about, a lot about faith. In fact, the entire thing is titled, in big words, By Faith. So we are super creative in our series content here. Um, <clears throat> the reason I'm really excited, honestly, about this series is because I think that faith is one of the most wildly misunderstood things that there is in Christianity. <clears throat> Especially if you are wrestling with the idea of faith. If you're wrestling with the idea of God, if you're wrestling with the idea of Jesus, especially the idea of Christianity, um, faith is, is, is really difficult. And, and here's, from my understanding, why. Because a lot of times, a lot of really well-intentioned Christians misuse the word faith. And here's how they oftentimes probably misused it in your experience. You asked a question that had wonderful um, thoughts behind it. You asked a question that was sincere. You asked a question that was genuine. You asked a question, in fact, and perhaps you said this, perhaps you were too nice to say this, but you asked a question that you thought if you actually believe, you should know the answer to. And a Christian who was well-intentioned, again, didn't answer that question with a real reason. They said something like, you know, truthfully, you just got to have faith. You just got to (laughs) believe. And you thought... Well, that sounds dumb, you know, and you're too nice to say that, but, but here's perhaps what your experience of faith is. Faith is simply a Christian answer to a question that we don't have the answer to. It's simply a Christian answer to a question that we don't have the answer to, and so you say, well, what about this, or what about this? Well, I also read this, and in part A of the Bible, it says this, in part B of the Bible, it says this, and those things seem to contradict each other, you know. What do you think? And you asked a Christian, and they said, well, you know, man, you just got to, you just got to believe. <laughs> and again, you thought, what you mean is I just have to completely ignore any intellect. I have to completely ignore any reason. I have to completely in- ignore any logical pursuit of my mind and just believe. And you thought, again, you, you didn't say this out loud because you're super nice, but you thought you just got to be dumb to believe this. Now, If you've ever been in that camp, then I'm so glad that you're here because today what we're going to do is we're going to take this idea of faith. To dig a little bit deeper in it is to take the idea of faith and say, how do people come to a belief in God? How do adults with real world experience, with real reason and critical thinking come to place their entire ideological, theological, you know, worldview in this idea of Jesus of Nazareth. Because if we're all being totally honest, it's a little bit crazy, okay? Let me just, as a pastor, validate you in that feeling. That it's a little bit crazy because essentially what we're saying is this. There was a guy who was kind of insignificant. He was a Jewish carpenter when Jewish carpenters weren't the cool things. It wasn't that he was the cool carpenter with a sweet Instagram that had woodworking stuff and everybody thought, oh my gosh, he's just so fair trade. You know, we just, I bet his glasses are so square rimmed. It's unbelievable. Or now the new, you know, gold hoop big thing. So, you know, he wasn't that guy. He was an insignificant Jewish carpenter who, who, who said a lot of, you know, interesting stuff, sometimes some inspiring stuff, sometimes some very, very offensive things. He performed some miracles to substantiate who he was, but eventually died at a cross. And essentially what we're saying is we want you to believe in something that happened, you know, hundreds, if not a couple thousand years ago. And we want you to trust some really old, ancient manuscripts and documents to something you can't see and you can't believe. And you just think that is a lot of faith. And faith is interesting because if we're being really honest, What we think about faith and how we think about faith, it's more like athleticism. 
And what I mean by that is, you were kind of born with it, or you weren't. And someone said, you got to have more of it. And that's like someone saying, hey, you know, if you would just believe, if you would just have faith, if you would just believe, you just have faith, and you think, you know, I just wasn't born with the ability to believe, and for some reason you were, and you kind of track that back a little bit again. And for some of that, that is because you think, okay, your parents handed you that faith. Your parents handed you that belief. So you were raised with the institutional knowledge and awareness of a God, of a person, of a deity named Jesus. But I wasn't. And I wasn't born with it. And I wasn't raised in the lineage of it. And so it's a little bit more difficult for me to have it, right? This is kind of like, um, I don't know if any of you are, are long-time, long-time Florida State fans. This is like a guy that we used to have um, that was one of our linebackers. His name was Ernie Sims. Still lives in Tallahassee. Wonderful guy. Loves Jesus. But Ernie Sims was a freak of an athlete. Like, there's a lot of people that are, like, good athletes. He was just, like, this dude's on, like, another planet athletic, okay? But his dad was, like, an, he, his dad's, like, in the Florida State Hall of Fame for football. He went on to play in the NFL. His mom was an All-American track star. And so Ernie came around. You know, if you take, like, All-American and All-American, you know, All-American football player, All-American track star, and they have a child, it's like, well, yeah, that's Hercules, you know? <laughs> of course he's going to be athletic. And that's what we think about faith. It's like, you know... You know, you just got to have it. And you think I wasn't born with it. I didn't have that gene. I didn't have that genealogy. I didn't have that lineage. And so it's difficult. That would be like someone to come to you and say, you know, you want to be rich? You just got to have a million dollars. And you think, well, gosh, if it was just that easy, you know? Okay, I just, I believe, I believe, I believe. Oh, there's a million dollars. That's wonderful. Now, if that happens to you, you can give downtowncommunitychurch.com, okay? Just <laughs> what you know. But when it comes to faith, it can be very, very, very difficult because it seems unreasonable. It seems like a gap that you just can't get to. And it seems like something perhaps you were just born with or not born with. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time here. I am not going to go through point and counterpoint of why you should believe. Because to be frank, that would be degrading to your level of thought. You might have a thought that is, is totally intellectual, but on the other side of it, you might have had an experience that just totally turned you off from it. And so for me, and a stage and a microphone and a few minutes to say, this is why you should believe and give you all the information and say, now believe, that would be minimizing your level of thought and your experiences. But here's what I want to do. I want to create a framework for you of what I have seen when I have seen people who are adults, who have critical reason, and use it, come to a belief about a guy named Jesus of Nazareth. Now, if you're in here, you're at, that, that's not you, you're not in that camp right now. If you're in here and you're, you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, here's what I hope you get out of this. Hopefully, you have a friend, you have someone in your family, you have someone who you work with, you have someone who you go to school with, you have someone somewhere around you that is struggling and wrestling with this idea of faith. And you're a little bit unsure about what to say, you're a little bit unsure about how the mechanics of it work, you're a little bit unsure about how people come to faith as an adults. I just want to create a framework to say, this is what I have seen happen as we have seen people come to faith. Now, how we get there is fascinating in the book of Hebrews because the people... Of who were the Christians at the time, were facing extraordinary persecution. And as persecution broke out across the entire Roman Empire, Christians were oftentimes tempted to abandon their faith. 
they had a similar faith crisis. And in Hebrews chapter 10, actually, Paul is rounding this argument. He ends with the last couple of verses in chapter 10, and he basically says, we are not those that shrink back from our faith. In the subtext, due to persecution. And in chapter 11, verse 1, launches into not a definition of faith, but a description of faith that for us creates a wonderful framework for how you and I can wrestle with faith as we're wrestling with the existence of God and Jesus and Christianity. Again, this doesn't answer all the questions. This doesn't even try to. This just gives you a framework of a direction and how to think and what to think towards. So if you got your Bible, you can up to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. If you're a Christian, you've heard this probably a bunch of times before. He says, now faith... Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith is the assurance of what's hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Where anybody who's a reason-based thinker thinks along along these lines, well, hold on. You're telling me that it's the assurance of what I have hoped for. I don't know if you know what assurance and hope mean, but you hope for something or you have confidence and assurance in something, but, but... How do you have assurance in what you hope to be true? One is a sense of concreteness, and one is a sense of, gee, that'd be nice. On top of that, he qualifies it and says, and it's the conviction of things not seen. So you, hold on, Ben, this is exactly why I don't like Christians, you know, I I get it, you know. You want me to just be so sure, and how can you be so sure of things that haven't happened yet? How can you have confidence, how can you have just real confidence in things that you have not seen yet? Now, let me pause and say this. Faith, as he's using this word in the Greek, was not um, specific or was not unique to the New Testament. As he used this word faith, the understanding is, I'm going to put a trust in something in the future. I'm going to put future trust in something. I'm going to put future trust in what we hope for, and I'm going to have a conviction. There's going to be an action. There's going to be a sense that this is definitive in what I have not seen yet. Now, as crazy as that might sound, here's what's true. Every single one of us experience this on the daily basis. Every single person who drove here today had faith. You might not have thought about in that context or that category. But based on your current level of information and your previous experiences, you put faith in your brake pads as you came here. If you have a really old car in your brake drum as you came here. Some of you, you were driving down campus and, you know, you were going about 25 because you're all law-abiding citizens. And, you know, and somebody walked in front of you, right? And you put faith that your car was going to stop. And they put faith that your car was going to stop. Even though that person has never really experienced your brakes and thought, you know what? Their brake fluid is just so primed well right now. But they saw that car based on their level of information, their, their previous experience. They thought this car is going to stop. Now, pause. Sometimes you wish it wouldn't because they're super inconsiderate, right? You're like... If I just ran you over, like, you wouldn't get that hurt. But you'd learn, you know. (laughs) I digress. Some of us, you drove down Monroe Street, 
and you were going 35 or 45, or if you were late, you were going 60 miles an hour. Just, you, know, you can repent for that later. But you know, you're going 60, and you knew when you hit the accelerator that you were going to have to stop. Now, based on your previous experience and your current level of information, you hit the brake, and you expected it to stop. In fact, every single person in here used faith since you've been at church. Every single person, when we stood up and we sang, you stood up and you sang and all that, you know, was, was good. And then you did something crazy. You sat down and you actually believed your chair was going to hold you. And I don't think anybody sat down and thought, you know what? I don't know if I trust these chairs. Let, you know, let me get my screwdriver out. Like, open this thing, you know, flip it over and get my flashlight out. And let me go through and, and see it and, you know, and, and tweak all the screws. Why? Why? Because every single one of us uses faith. If you're kind of in the reason and logic and deductive thinking class, this is, this is basically the difference between inductive and deductive reasoning. And all of us use this every single day. So to eliminate it from the idea of religion is kind of silly. It creates a double standard. So as you go into this, here's, here, here's what I'm saying. When you think about God, when you think about Christian, when you think about Jesus, it's not that all of your questions are fully and finally answered. It's just that perhaps for what your experience is, and if I had your experience, I would probably think the same thing too. And based on your level of information, if I had your level of information, I would probably think the same thing too. But based on your level of information and your experiences, the gap is so wide, it seems unreasonable to bridge that gap. And here's what I have experienced with adults. Somewhere early on in life, there's this, I don't believe it, so I have to be against it mentality. There's this, I don't believe it, so I have to be totally opposed to it. In fact, I've had some conversations with some folks here lately, and, and, and I truthfully really do appreciate the, the honesty. And they'll say, you know, man, I used to go to church because a girl brought me or a guy brought me, or they said they'd, you know, take me to lunch afterwards if I did it, and I was just broke, so I went anyways. And, and when I showed up, you know, I wasn't like in it. You know, in fact, in fact, the opposite. I was so opposed to it that while the guy was talking, I wasn't sitting there thinking, man, I'm tracking. I looked engaged, but I was engaged because I was thinking of all the reasons he was wrong. Let me tell you, you probably already have 15 reasons why I'm wrong, and that is so totally okay with me because you might be right, but... What I've experienced is that oftentimes as life changes, there's some kind of transition that shifts in life, all of a sudden what used to be anti isn't necessarily anti anymore. It becomes a general, okay, I'm interested. Perhaps this wasn't as crazy as I thought it was before, but I'm just, I don't know all the information, but if there is information, I am open to it. So he says it's the faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the reason of taking the next step, of the jump that is a jump, based on my experience and my level of information. And here's all I'm saying. That's the first step. There's two, there's two pieces to this. Step number one is perhaps that gap isn't as big as you thought. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. But I'm saying perhaps that gap, perhaps there's some information out there Perhaps there's just some experiences that you can have that would help you come to the awareness that perhaps that gap isn't as big as you thought it was. He continues on in verse 2 as he explains that this is the dynamic that faith has been since the get-go. 
Verse 2, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. Now, as he, as he launches into this, there's a wonderful point that he's making in this, that this has been the basic setup. Oftentimes when people viewed the Old Testament, they viewed it in the sense of you just behaved really well and you made sacrifices. And he would say, no. By faith, people acting on faith, people trusting towards future action because of previous experience and because of, previ- because of current information, that by faith, people have found themselves right with God, that this has been the case. It wasn't that in the Old Testament, you just acted really well, you were kind of in the genealogy of, and then you, you know, sacrificed a chicken or a duck or a goat, which is just kind of odd for us to think about in the modern context, but nonetheless, you know, that wasn't the that it was by faith the entire time, and then he gives us a few examples of people who have had their faith positively and negatively affect that but before he does he says verse 3 by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible now at this point everybody who's anti-church says that's my problem you're telling me this whole thing seven days and it happened like 20 years ago get out of here with that so just pause and say this this is this is what most people say he's refuting against the Greek culture had this wonderful philosopher, and he still is a wonderful philosopher that we read named Aristotle. We talked last week about the Greek culture, Hellenization, Alexander the Great. Well, one of their ways that they would institute culture and they would institute information was through philosophers. One was Aristotle. And Aristotle had this basic thought and this idea that nothing comes from nothing. Nothing comes from nothing, therefore the earth has always been. Nothing comes from nothing, therefore the earth has always been. And what he's saying is, no, 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 no. Nothing comes from nothing, therefore the the earth hasn't always been, therefore God has always been, and God has created, God has made that there was no thing before nothing existed, that God, in fact, spoke all of this into existence. I know that sounds crazy to you, that might sound wild to you, but just kind of keep track of it. Because he transitions and he says, and let me give you a couple examples. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. And God commending him by accepting his gifts as though his faith, though he died, or, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now he's talking about this Cain and Abel story that happened in the Old Testament. He reaches back and starts at the very, kind of close to the beginning of Genesis. So there's this guy Cain, there's this guy Abel. Abel offered this great sacrifice to God, Cain not so much, and Abel was faithful to God. It was a move of faith to make this sacrifice, and you know what Abel's sacrifice got him? He was faithful to God, and in his faithfulness, he was killed for his faithfulness, that he was faithful to the end, but that was still counted to him as righteousness. Continues and dovetails that with the next person of faith. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch, which is just an interesting character in the Bible, people in the Bible think super highly of Enoch, and there's like a total of three verses about him. But by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, he talks about this guy, Enoch, and the basic story of Enoch is that Enoch, you know, again, there's not a huge story. There's like three verses. So Enoch was basically a guy who was commended as walking with God, walking closer with God. It said that he basically never saw death, that he was so full of faith and so full of righteousness because of his faith that God just took him up. And so Paul says, look, there have been people both who were faithful, who faced negative consequences, and people who were faithful and faced nothing but positive. We've had the negative and we've had the positive. We've had the negative and we've had the positive. 
who lived out their faith. They were commended as righteous before God because of their faithfulness. But our faith and our faithfulness is not conditional on our circumstance and our situation. Is this point that as he's making to them was very, very helpful. Because they were going through situations that tested their faith. They were going through persecution that would make, want, make them want to draw their faith back. In verse 6, I think, I think this is one of the most extraordinary verses in the Bible. Because the understanding of what he's leading to is that your faith isn't a faith in faith. In fact, your faith, my faith, is not a faith in conditions. You see, on, on, on a meta level, not on an interactional level, but on a meta level, all of us have faith in stuff. We have faith that when we put money into our bank account, our financial systems and institutions are still going to work. We place our trust in our security in our jobs. We place our trust in our security in our ability to be financially stable. We place our trust in our security in a whole host of different things and in our ability. And then from time to time, we face circumstances or situations that says, that's not as stable as you thought it was. And then we, rasp, we, we wrestle and grasp for something else to put our faith in. And so he says in the very next verse. And without faith... It is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That he rewards those who seek him. That as you begin to be okay with the intellectual pursuit of God, as you begin to think that perhaps this isn't as unreasonable as reasonable people would think it to be, then you start to at some point in life say, okay, God, if you're there, I want to know that I'm not going to place my faith in faith. I'm not going to place my hope in just simply a wishes, hopes, and dreams. But I'm going to place my hope in a person named Jesus. And if I'm going to do that, God, if I seek you, Your word says that you will reward me. And let me tell you what the reward is. The reward is rarely that I seek God, start asking questions, start praying a little bit. And all of a sudden, my bank account is just so full. You know, all of a sudden, I had this family issue and tension. It just like resolves itself. You know, that crazy aunt all of a sudden isn't crazy anymore. And you're like, God is real. All of a sudden, let me tell you this. God rewards you. As you get to the point where, you know, without faith it's impossible to believe, it is impossible to please God because you must believe that he exists. You must believe that he's there. So as you come to this idea that you just kind of believe that perhaps he's there, perhaps he's real, perhaps he exists. And you start to just be open to that and say, God, if you are there, please let me know. Then all of a sudden, what's intellectual gets matched with personal. And that is the transition that has been catalytic to person after person after person as an adult coming to a belief, a trust in a faith. It's not that all of the answers were fully and finally satisfied. 
It's that as you realize the reasoning behind it isn't as big of a gap as you perhaps once thought it was, you get met and have an experience with a personal God. Let me tell you a story about what happened or how, how this happened not too long ago. I was doing all the um, prep for this sermon on today. And um, not doing the prep today, but doing the prep for the Anyway. Um, and so I know that I've been a Christian for a long time. And I wanted to kind of see this through the eyes of someone who has recently become a Christian. There's a guy uh, who's in our group. And he's a, he's a wonderful guy, super smart guy. His name's Dale. Um, Dale was at the 915 service, and so after the service, I was like, hey, did I get your story right? But so I, ca- I called Dale just because I wanted to say, Dale, you know, you're, you're a really smart guy, and you believe in Jesus and have recently come to, to believe in Jesus. How did that happen for you? Like, what was the thing? I understand that there are so many hurdles. There are so many ancient documents. There's so many, you know, conflicting thoughts and stories and ways that you could believe and things that you could believe. I mean, come on. You're an adult, you're smart, you know, your frontal cortex is now fully developed where you can really, really actually think through stuff and not just say, oh, that's a good idea, let me jump off a cliff, you know. No, you can actually make good decisions. How did you come to faith? And here's essentially what he said as his story. He said, I was raised in a family that we had a, we had a blue-collar background. And not that that was bad, but I just knew that my you know, future was, was in all likelihood going towards being a construction worker or some type of a manual laborer. And that's not bad. I, that just isn't what I wanted to do with my life. My mom was, you know, kind of church and kind of, you know, Jesus-y, but not, you know, not, not too into it. My dad was pretty against it. You know, the whole thought was just don't go to them places. They'll steal your money, you know, which is whatever. And so he said, you know, I, I, I learned really early in life. I had wonderful parents that taught me the value of hard work. And I realized really early in life that the way to overcome the, the generational cycle that I had been in that was just going to make me put me back on you know, the construction and put me back on the manual labor and the blue collar, again, nothing wrong with that, but that was not his dream and hope and aspiration in life, was to acquire as much information as possible. And he said, you know, and I started to acquire information, and I, I grew up, and I wasn't, you know, church wasn't my thing, it wasn't in my DNA. Um, and to be frank, I was pretty against church for the, long, for the longest time. I wasn't like, okay, well, we'll just see. Like, I was, I was a staunch atheist, totally against it. And, and this is classic guy, by the way. And then I met this girl. Chicks, just like, like anyway, I have a whole sort of different center for that, but just focus. And she started bringing me around, and I would go to church. In fact, that's where I get the, get the comment that, that I went to church not because I was engaged, but because I was so engaged in how wrong the pastor was. And I'd go to church, and I'd just sit there, and, man, I looked like I was just, man, I was just loving church. But I was just sitting there, like, taking mental notes of, like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. They continued dating, and, and somewhere in that, that time frame, something kind of shifted, something kind of happened, where it, it, it's not that I was sitting there with a the, with the, point in the purpose of saying that you're wrong it was just the fact that you know honestly like I just became okay to say is this if this is real I want to know about it now part of what I loved about Dale's story is Dale's not like an average Joe he's a really hard worker he works really hard he's very very analytical intellectual dude graduated top three in his law class graduated on his, you know, I don't even, lawyers, you could fill in the blank on this, but whatever some exam is that I don't think is the bar, that's some type of a lawyer exam, so whatever, you know, 
Some of you guys are thinking, well, this is what it is. Stop, you're a lawyer, we get it. Um, <laughs> he scored in the top 1% to the point where he was hired back to help people pass that exam. And as I was talking to him, I just said, man, just, just like, you're, like, like you think, you th- like, like you're, not a, you're not an emotion-based thinker. You're not a wishes, hopes, and dreams-based thinker. You are someone who thinks through every single thing. I mean, you, he, he has since gone, and he did, you know, practice for a, a, a year or two under, you know, one firm. And then he just decided to start his own firm because, hey, why not, you know, pull the trigger, shoot your shot. So he decided that he was going to do that. So he goes, and he starts his own firm. And now as an adult, as a Christian, he decides to follow Jesus. And this is what he said. As we were going through that process, I became okay with the idea of God. I became okay with the idea. It wasn't as crazy. It wasn't as unreasonable. It was through a set of information. It was through some relationships that I had, some people that I met, some things that I was introduced to. And I became okay with that thought. But in the whole time, I just was thinking and I was praying. And here was his prayer. God, you know how my mind works. In fact, God, I believe that if you are real, if you are personal, then you actually created my mind this way on purpose. So if you created my mind this way on purpose to think how I think, you know how to reveal yourself to me. God, would you please do that? And here's the hope when anybody prays that prayer. That it's like, and then five minutes later, God's like, oh, I'm here, you know? He sends like some kind of crazy, weird, wacky message and, you know, shoots you this Instagram thing. And you're like, oh my gosh, God, or like at God just followed me. I think I'm in. It was a series of, of, of days and weeks and months, if not years. And as he was praying through a particular situation, he was just saying, God, if you're there, God, if you're there, God, if you're there, just reveal yourself to me. And he said, you know, we were sitting at the dinner table one night, not too long ago, not just a few weeks back. And I have been praying, and I have been praying, and I've been praying. And there was a number of circumstances and situations that I'm like, I'm like not even totally convinced that God's listening, but I'm praying and saying, God, could you work this out? Because if you're real, I just, not that, that you have to make me healthy and wealthy and wise, but God, if, you're, if you are there, please help me to come to the awareness that you're there, and if you could please help in these situations. Praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And then one night sitting at the dinner table, they're about to bow their heads to pray for their food. All of a sudden, he said there was nothing about what we prayed about for our food. It wasn't even the food. It wasn't even that good. But there in like 10 seconds, maybe five, maybe two seconds, there was this flood of connection that all of a sudden, everything that I had been praying about, everything that had happened, the entire situation just, he's like, I can't describe it, but it just all of a sudden, everything connected, everything made sense. And the only way that he could describe it as we would kind of unpack what he was talking about was what had been intellectual for so long, all of a sudden, he had an experience that God became personal. This, the way that the dots connected, the way that everything else that aligned, the way that everything that he had hoped for, wished for, and prayed for aligned in such a way that it was undeniable to him that this was the personal revelation of God. Let me just tell you, people who wrestle with faith, this is how people, person after person after person, I'm not saying this is something that you can force, this is just simply something to be aware of. That as you intellectually become more okay and you realize that there is some sense of reasonability to this, there is still a gap that's very difficult to bridge until you have a personal experience. And that's different for everybody. But it is the personal. It is the personal 
that matches, if not eclipses, the intellectual that results in what the writer of Hebrews would say is the reward of those who have some verses, some versions say it, who diligently, intentionally seek him. If you're wrestling with faith, let me just tell you, there is so much good reason. We don't just simply have a blind, dumb, jump off a cliff, cross your fingers, rub a lucky rabbit's foot, and hope it works type of faith. I hope that in our church you feel so much safety to ask questions. I hope you join a group and ask every question. I hope the group leader kind of like has to pull you aside and be like, dude, you're really annoying because you don't ever stay on topic because you just ask somebody. I hope that happens. In fact, we're even in the process of, of creating some environments and creating some groups that say, hey, what would it look like to have a group of people who are just wrestling with us to get together with someone and have a guided discussion about it? Because we think questions are so important because there is so much information behind the reasonability of our faith. But we realize at the other end of that, that has to be matched with a personal experience. And I hope and I pray as you seek God, you have a personal experience with a God who so loved you. He did not see any of us in our sinfulness and cast us away. But a God who so loved us in our sinfulness, he sent his son to die for us so that in our awareness and in our realization of our innate sinfulness and in his holiness, he would bridge the gap that we could not bridge because he's too holy and we're too sinful. And that he would send his son to die for us so that we could have the awareness of him. And a God who loves you that much will not fail to reward you as you diligently seek him. Let me just say this as the very final thing. I, just want, to be, I want this to be an encouragement to you. If you're in here and you're just so reasoned, so analytical, so logical, I love the fact that you're here. Because probably for a long time you felt like the way that your brain worked was counterintuitive to faith, was opposed to faith, was opposed to God. You want to know who God used who had the exact same brain, maybe not the exact same brain, but a really similar thought pattern as you. It was a guy named Saul who turned into Paul who had a personal experience with Jesus himself and turned into the guy who would pin two thirds of the entire New Testament. God has gifted you. God has wired you. God has created you. God has crafted your mind in such a way. Don't you dare think that God is going to use that in opposition. I think he is going to use you in the most extraordinary way as you diligently seek him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, lots of thoughts, lots of things. But God, I just simply pray that in the midst of all this, anyone who's struggling, who's wrestling, who's just kind of trying to figure out, sifting through faith, not just in God in general, but in specifically faith in you, Jesus. I pray for anyone who is a friend, has a family member, has a coworker, 
has a son, has a daughter, has a mother, has a father, has a best friend, a roommate, who is struggling with faith. God, I pray that you would help them to have answers for the wide variety of things that there are answers to. That you would help to lead them to the level of experience and the amount of information where they would come to the general awareness and acceptance of perhaps this isn't as crazy as I used to think. And God, perhaps their answers will all be fully and finally answered, or perhaps there will still be some ones left on the table. But at some point, you would, as they are diligently, earnestly, as, as they are genuinely wanting to know, is this true, and seeking out answers, you would, a holy God who sent your son to the world so that we could have a personal relationship with you, if you would not hold back your son, you would not hold back the awareness of yourself to those who diligently seek you. And I pray what's intellectual would be matched and eclipsed by what's personal. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.